0: for so many years, we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high. We have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Chop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small-town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words, America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone we must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women it is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have it is a weapon that we as americans do have let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors as for the enemies of freedom Those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. That's right.
1: Kind of gives you goosebumps there just a little bit. I would like to uh, take a moment and uh, ask our veterans and those who are currently serving in the military to please stand, if you would. Let's say thank you. Yeah. And now I'd also like to have you continue standing and have your families stand that, uh, that have also uh, had to You know, uh, you go off to war; they have to take care of things at home. So if you're a family member, please stand as well. (laughs) You can be seated, and I say thank you. You'll see inside your bulletin, there's a thing called Gospel to the Core. And what that is, is uh, I ran into a group of guys that were planting a church in uh, Quantico, Virginia. And they planted a church just outside the Marine Base there, and it is called the uh, the Crossroads of the Marines. And and as it goes, as people come there, they stay two years there, and they go out, and they they spread out um, all over. And the problem they were serving, or as they had going on, was they um, planted this church. They're developing leaders. They're they're doing their things, and then these guys would get deployed or changed uh, locations every two years. They were. Losing these guys to go to California or they would go to uh, North Carolina or they go to Japan. Any one of those, those are the big ones that they would go to. And they said that the problem they were running into is they would get there and not have a church to plug into. So they came up with the idea to not only plant the church and have it right here in Quantico, Virginia, but also one at each of the marine bases. So when they left, they would go to the same church in a different location with the same structure, the same leadership development, the same everything so they didn't fall back. Because that's, a, that's an important part for uh, many of our military uh, men and women as well as their families to have a place where they can be plugged in at and the church is a big deal. Um, I put it on there uh, inside your bulletins for you to pray for it. If you see anything in there that you'd like to you know, uh, pray about or anything that, that catches your eye, please make sure to, uh, to let me know. I'm, I'm not saying we're going to do something big as a huge church to, to do something uh, in that area, but I wanted you guys to be aware of that because I think it's a great program that they put together there. A um, couple other things that are in your bulletin there that I want to let you know about too. Um, our women's fall escape is this Saturday. It's hard to believe when we started planning that. We said, oh, November sixteenth. That's a ways off. It's not. It's what happened to two thousand thirteen. It's we're only two weeks away, two and a half weeks away from Thanksgiving. I mean, it's it's uh, it's moving here, and I'm not sure what the deal is, but I, I don't like it. I like things to go a little bit slower. Um, but I guess one of the good things is, is that hopefully on Wednesday, uh, we'll have our certificate of occupancy set up for our for the hub. Over um, for our move to, to be able to take place in a couple of weeks Next week will be our last week of setting up and tearing down in here for the setup team Yes, hey, praise God for that um, Then the following week we're going to be in here But we're actually going to sit around the, uh, the tables, uh, the, the, the cafeteria tables And we're going to share in a Thanksgiving communion It'll be a family time We're not going to have nursery or preschool on that Sunday either So it'll just be us in here plugged into the house system and So everything's getting out of here basically next week um, at the end of the service, so we're going to need you to help us get chairs up onto trailers to get everything. I mean, we're going to clear everything out of here uh, next week, so we're excited about that. I hope that you are as well. Um, there are plenty of other things going on the bullet, and I want you to take a look at that for me if you would when you get a chance. Um, you'll also see our wish list is in there, the cool orange piece of paper that's supposed to stand out and really get your attention. We did get TVs this week, so we're set, we checked that one off the list. We have a couple other things we still need to get um, in order to get started over there, so please take a look at that if you would. Um now to uh sorry, I gotta get my name tag, it fell off. But the uh the next thing that we're going to be uh taking a look at is well the Bible because that's what we're really kind of here for, not for announcements and all the fun stuff I just did. Um the uh if you've been with us, we've been going through the gospels. We've been going through the gospels in a chronological order, and we are now into week eight of this look at the gospels. And as we've been going through it, we've looked at the very beginning. We've looked at Jesus being in the beginning, and if we've gone through uh, the birth, we've gone through his baptism, we've gone through him doing his first family and friends miracle as we talked about it last week, and we talked about Jesus turning water into wine. Well, today, um, today we're actually going to talk about a little turn that he makes and goes into, uh, goes into celebrate the Passover up in Jerusalem. And as we talk about Veterans Day today, and as we look and, and we honor our, our soldiers, I guess the first question I have is, why? Why do veterans, why do soldiers, why do people enlist in order to put their lives on the line for their country? Why did they go out of their way to do it? Why back in, in World War I and World War II did guys actually lie about their ages so they could get into the military? They wanted to be older so they can enlist and they can go fight for their country. Why did they do that? What was the point? I mean, that's kind of our whole idea, even with the Gospels that we're doing. What's the point? There's got to be a point to it all, or there wouldn't be much to it. There wouldn't be any real reason to to chase after it. What's the point? Why do they do it? And, And I think, correct me if I'm wrong... I mean, I don't think the military benefits are that good. That, that That's the reason why you do it. I don't think that, uh, that getting to travel across the world is, is exactly the way that you choose to do it on a, on a ship or in a plane in the back of a cargo you know, holder kind of thing. That wasn't it. I think what it is is there's a passion. There's a passion for our country. There's a love for our country, and that's what it's about. Because without passion, without love, guess what? We're not inspired. We're not inspired to do anything. Think about this. Behind every great piece of art, behind every great writing, behind every song, behind all the great music, behind all the great dramas, the great architectures, there's passion. And that's what gets the blood flowing, and that is what moves us. Because nothing great in life I think is ever accomplished without passion. I can't think of much. Nothing's ever sustained in life when we're just going through the motions Nothing, nothing really moves forward without that passion. Passion energizes our life. It makes the impossible possible. It's when somebody says something that you can't do it, you have a passion to tell them, you know what, you're wrong, and you show them that you can do it. Passion is what gets us out of the bed this, in the morning and says, you know what, I'm going to do something with my life today. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you got up this morning and the first thing you said was, I need my coffee? Raise your hand. It's okay. You can, you can do that. It's okay. If you didn't say that, you probably had some sort of energy drink. Do you realize what the purpose of coffee and energy drinks are? They're to get you going, right? I mean, isn't that? It's just because we live lives that, I hate to say it, are kind of passionless. They're, they're without passion, and we use coffee to amp up our Passion. I'm not a coffee drinker. I, I don't particularly like coffee. I think it tastes like hot, dirty water. But, um, you know, and, and you know, people who pour nothing but, you know, cream and sugar and that stuff in there, it's not really coffee anymore, is it? But the, uh, I, I don't understand why people do it. I drink iced tea. Iced tea actually has more caffeine in it than coffee does. And I, I drink that. And I got on uh, and looked, and I was checking things out. Do you realize there are 65 different brands of energy drink? 65 different brands. That's not different flavors of those brands. That is 65 different brands of energy drink. And you look at that. Do you realize that the top eight energy drinks last year made $8 billion in profits? $8 billion in profits. Think about that for just a second. Why does America need to spend $8 billion on energy drinks as you guys sit there drinking your coffee? Why do we need that? It's because we need something to keep us going. We need something to kind of get those things. We forget that passion is what mobilizes armies into action. Passion is what takes people, the explorers, if you want to go to the whole Star Trek realm, into the realm of the unknown. Boldly go where no man has ever gone before. It's passion. It's a passion for those things. Why do Olympic athletes put themselves through all the strain and all the pressure and all of the, the trainings that take place to go from being just a good athlete to a great athlete to an Olympic gold medalist? It's passion. It's passion that keeps you going. The thing is, it's the same thing in the church. Jonathan Edwards, who's a theologian back in the, in the 1700s, He wrote a book called Religious Affections. This is what he put. He put, the nature of human beings is to be inactive unless influenced by some affection, some passion, some love or hatred, desire, hopes, fear, etc. These affections are what spring us into action. The things that set us moving in our lives, that move us to engage in activity. When we look at the world, we see people are exceedingly busy. This is written in the 1700s. It's their affections that keep them busy. If we were to take away their affections, the world would be motionless and dead. There would be no such thing as activity. It's the affection we call covetousness that moves a person to seek worldly profits. It's the affection we call ambition that moves a person to tr- truly pursue worldly glory. It's the affection we call lust that moves a person to pursue sensual delights. Just as worldly affections are the spring of worldly actions, so the religious affections are the spring of religious actions. The holy scriptures clearly see religion as a result of affections, namely the affections of fear of God, hope, love, hatred of evil, desire, joy, sorrow, gratitude, compassion, and zeal. I believe that no one is ever changed either by doctrine, by hearing the word, or by preaching or teaching unless the affections are moved by these things. In a word, there's never any great achievement by the things of religion without a heart deeply affected by those very things. You see, in the Bible, there's a time when Jesus is going, we're going to talk about this. It's going to to be talked about again in the future. But the guy walks up and says, hey, Jesus, what is the most important thing in the Bible? What's what's the most important commandment that we've got that we have to follow? And we've talked about it. As a matter of fact, we have a couple of the pens left that say all in on them. And in the very beginning of the year, we talked about being all in, loving Jesus with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And that's what Jesus tells him. I want you to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Nothing matters more than that. That is the number one thing in life. I want you to love me passionately. Passion. It's that word again. All, all, all. As a matter of fact, the message version says it this way. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus said, Love the Lord with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. All your passion. The word in. Greek is heart. When he says it, he says, I I want you to put something behind it. I want you to put some muscle into it. I want you to to go. Don't be a wimp in your relationship with God. Don't be half-hearted about it all. He wants all. And that's what he's calling us for. In fact, the truth is, throughout all the Bible, the Bible tells us to seek God passionately, to love God passionately, to serve and obey God passionately, and to trust him passionately. Where is our passion Where is your passion? Where do we fall into all of these things? And you might be saying, well, wait a second. I thought you said we were going through the Gospels chronologically. How does this have anything to do with the Gospels? And I want to tell you it has everything to do with the Gospels. And today we're going to pick up, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of John chapter 2. Now we stopped last week in verse 11. We're actually going to pick up in verse 13 today in John chapter 2. And as we do that, um, as you're opening up to that, let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for who you are. We're thankful that you have made us passionate creatures. God, help us to point our passions in the right direction. pray it all in your name. Amen. John chapter 2, picking up in verse 13. Right after his friends and family miracle, Jesus goes off to Capernaum, and they spend a couple of days there, and then they go up into the temple to celebrate Passover. This is what it says, starting in verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people settle, selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove them all out from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, and he overturned the tables. To those he said, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my fa- father's house into a market. His disciples remember that it is written, and this is written in Psalm 69, 9, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Then he replied, or they replied, it takes 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it again in three days? But the temple that he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem in the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. See, this passage, as we read it, there is so much in it. I mean, it is one that we could probably spend weeks and weeks and weeks on. Because the first thing he does is he shows this passion for God's house. This zeal for God's house. We also see the fact that he talk, he's he got this righteous anger. He shows us that it's okay to be angry when there's something okay to be angry about and how you respond to it. He shows us as well that he is predicting his death, his burial, and his resurrection about what's going to come when he talks about the temple being rebuilt in three days. He talks about um, all these people that he was showing signs and miracles to, that were believing in his name, yet he still wouldn't trust himself because he knew what was in people. We also see the Pharisees questioning him, which we will see many, many times over the next weeks and months as we go chronologically through this. But the thing I want to focus on really today and even into next week is this. It's found in verse 17 when it says, His disciples remember that it is written, Zeal for your house, Will consume me. I want you to see also the NLT version. It says passion for God's house. Will consume me. The zeal of thine house. Hath eaten me up. That might be the only time you hear me quote KJV ever. But the fact that it is eating him up inside. That passion for God's house. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time. That you said the passion for God's house. Ate you up inside. The passion and zeal. It consumed you so much so. That you were all in. Let's just be honest. It's half of you guys didn't want to come to church today. The other half, you're thinking about it now. Going, maybe I didn't want to come to church today. I'm thinking it. And I'm supposed to be here. We get in this, this role of, oh, it's Sunday I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to get up, I have to have my coffee so I don't fall asleep during that time of that I have to do this. Some of you are here because husbands and wives dragged you here. Some of you are here because moms and dads said you had to be here. Some of you, you're just here. I mean, all honesty, what are you here for? And I think Even when Jesus went into this temple and he started turning over tables and he started whipping, uh, you know, people and whipping the sheep and get, get out of here throwing money all over the place and everybody's all upset with him. I think he said, you guys are here for the wrong reason. You're here for your own profit and that is not what it's about. How many of us go to church for our own profit? Now, we're not a huge church, obviously, but I know a lot of large churches that people will specifically put themselves as members in those churches so they can get business contacts, so they can have some sort of social networking in, in a way like that. That, I think, is exactly what Jesus is talking about. You don't go to church. You don't have a consuming desire for church for yourself. You do it for God. And do we do that? Maybe you come here because the activities and the entertainment is good. Because you know I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret, and that's funny to watch. You know, Those are the kind of things. Maybe why you come... But that's that's not it. You know, I've talked to so many different people, and when they come, I get to ask them, "Hey, you know, what was it that brought you to Paragon? What was it, what's something that that you'd like to see or or have seen?" And sometimes I get answers like, "Well, as long as the music isn't too loud." And I'm like, "Wait a second! Don't you want a church that theologically sound first? I mean, the music being loud that that might be an issue, but shouldn't that be a little further down the list than number one? The first thing you tell me, we'll come here as long as the music's not too loud. I mean, just." process that but sometimes we look for everything about the church and i guess there's one question that i have for you and i I was reading that this this week uh, judah smith has a book called jesus is blank and i've been reading through it and one of the questions he asked was is when did jesus stop being enough when did jesus stop being enough when did we have to have all of the other things in order to be okay with going to that particular church? When did we have to have the, the smoke and the lights and the mirrors and the disco balls and all that stuff in order to go to church? When did we have to have the activities all in place in order to go to that church? When did we have to have those things? When did Jesus stop being enough? It's a question worth asking. And I, I grew up outside of the church. Until I got into junior high, and we went to the biggest church that had the biggest activities for all of us. And it was great. I had all kinds of fun. And I got to invite my friends to all that kinds of fun. And I understand that principle of ministry of trying to draw the crowd to bring them to the core. I understand that. That is a purpose-driven model is what you would call it. And you want to do that. But too often, we stay up here at the activity, and we forget we have to actually get it down and get people discipled and developed into this. And have them grow that passion for God's house inside them that they say, you know what, I want to invest. See, we should have this passion that's bubbling up inside of us. We need to be a light to the world, and that light needs to be shining off of us. And guess what, we're going to talk about Matthew 5 in the not-too-distant future. And I'm excited about talking about Matthew chapter 5, where it says, we are the light, the light on a hill that cannot be hidden. We need to be doing that, and that's where this passion comes from. And it's amazing to me, in all of America, you can be passionate about anything that you want to except God. Except God. I can tell you all about my favorite football team. You can tell me all about your favorite football team. And we can jaw back and forth and have a good time and laugh about it. And when my team loses, I can cry. And when they lose their quarterback, I can cry harder. And when they... Um, and when they they win, I can dance around and wave my arms around in the air, and you know who's going to say anything? They're going to say, hey, that's a real fan right there. He really loves his team. But if I did that with God, people would think I was some sort of stranger, some sort of whack job. I mean, they would just think there was something wrong with me. What are other things we're passionate about? Passionate about music. I can talk about music. You can talk to me about music. I can talk about food. I'm passionate about food. I like food a lot. I can tell you all the foods I'd like. As a matter of fact, if you're a veteran, I'm almost wishing I had served in the military because tomorrow you get free food at Texas Roadhouse. You also get free food at Applebee's. Lunch and dinner are taken care of for y'all. And Great Clips is also doing a special that if you go get your haircut, you get a haircut for free. Man, you got your haircut, then you go on a date two times, you're all set, okay? I'm telling you what. But we can be passionate about food. We can talk about food all we want. But if we show that same passion about God, it can be a real negative. If we show that same passion even in the church, people are going to think there's something wrong with us. People are going to look at us funny. How many of you guys seriously, when you kind of want to raise your hand on some of those songs, especially when it says, we lift our hands up, up to the heavens, and you're kind of (laughs) like, because you're afraid if you go any higher than that, people are going to see your hands up in the air, and they're going to look at you funny. Occasionally, yeah, you know what that sound is? That's clapping. Some of you attempt to do it. Some of you, not in rhythm, but that's okay. It's all right. It's okay to show a little bit of passion, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of getting into this whole thing we call God and excited about what He has done for us. In return, we get to do back for Him. We get to say thank you. How often. Do we get twisted and forget about what God really has done? We put on this fake outer thing, but on the inside we're really just dead, passionless. Romans 12:9 through 11. I'm reading out the NLT here. It says, "Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong hold tight to what is good Good. love each other with genuine affection and take delight and honor each other never be lazy but work hard and serve the lord enthusiastically serve the lord enthusiastically i apologize if i ever get up here and i'm not enthusiastic about what god is doing in my life and in my family and in my church i apologize for coming across that way but i like the fact that says never be lazy Never be lazy. Keep the fires going in your life. And you know what? You have to understand something. That means it takes action. It takes motion. It takes you doing something. It takes discipline. It takes a choice. Because if he says never be lazy, it means we can actually choose to be lazy if we want to. We can choose to sit back and let everybody else do everything else. Never be lazy. Be passionate. And some people say, well, you know what? I'm kind of a... I'm kind of an introvert. I've met lots of passionate introverts. I've met lots of passionate extroverts. I've met lots of passionate elderly people. I've met lots of passionate young people. There's no, this is what you have to be to be passionate. You can be passionate about anything. I'm challenged to be passionate about God. are things in our life that suck the life out of you. They just they just drain you. You're like a helium balloon on a birthday party is real bright and fla- and glowing and so pretty and stuff, and by the next day it's all wilted and hanging half down and kind of wrinkly looking and stuff. And I think sometimes that's what we get. We get excited about God, especially when we first meet God, when first we get baptized when we understand that He has saved us from our sins, and we're excited about that. And then something happens to that helium. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's a correct sound to make on a Sunday morning, but it it we're just that wrinkly old balloon that's kind of half hanging there. But that's not what we're supposed to be. God has called us to be passionate. He's called us to be enthusiastic. He's called us not to let things suck the life out of us, to take the zip out of our doodah. Okay, that, that's, that's really what he's called us to. And there's seven things, seven passion killers that, that keep us from having that passion. If you have your note page, I would love for you to write this down. I would love for you to write these things down, because I think these things would be a checklist to say throughout the week that, man, this is getting me. That's getting me. This is getting me. If you don't have it, as a matter of fact, uh, if you jump on YouVersion.com, if you have that, we actually have set it up today, um, and I know for some of you, it takes like 20 minutes to get there, and I'll be done by the time you get onto it, but if you get on YouVersion.com on your phone, on your app there, you can follow along and fill in some notes, and there's also the verses and things that are there, but this is the first one. The seven passion killers, the first one I think is, is an unbalanced schedule. An unbalanced schedule. Either you are overworked or you are underworked. I know that sounds funny, but both of those two things can, can suck the life out of you. It, it can kill our passion. It, the Bible tells us there's a season for everything and there's a rhythm for life. And that means there's input and output. And too many times if we're underworked, there's no output. And if we're overworked, there's not enough input. You need both rest and work. Too much of either, it's going to cause you to lose your passion. Too much work will cause you to lose your pas- passion, and too much nothing, boredom, will cause you to lose your passion. My question is, is where are you at? Because my, my guess would be there's a pretty good mix in here. There's a pretty good mix, because half of you, I think, need to work less, and probably half of you need to work more. We're all different in our personalities, and it can go to either extreme. Psalm 127 says this, It's senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing that you're going to starve to death, for God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. That's a good reverse for the refrigerator door, I think, for a lot of us. I think he's telling us, I want you to get your proper rest. That is really what the Sabbath was set up for, wasn't it? To get the proper rest. God rested on the seventh day. Isn't that kind of what it's all about? But how many of us can honestly say we take time to rest? Because if we're not doing something, then we're doing something else, right? Isn't that kind of the the mentality we have? Or we're sleeping. That's really really it. But God says, I want you to rest. And the reason why is because we need to take time and fill up. Because if we're constantly pouring ourselves into somebody else, constantly pouring ourselves into a, a project, constantly doing this, we're never being filled back up. We're never taking time to rest. And it's like a car. Your body's like a car. How far can you go on an empty gas tank? Nowhere. And that's the way up. We we have empty gas tanks and we're spinning our wheels and then we're just completely flat and just sitting there. And then others, there's the exact opposite. You're always taking in, but you're never giving back out. You're always taking in you're you're reading books or you're watching videos or you're going to conferences or you're going to church constantly you're taking all of this information in but you're never taking it and giving it back out and you're getting fatter and fatter and fatter to the point where you're never going to be able to be able to move even if you want to and that's the way it is with us spiritually And one way or another i have a feeling that, that that's us in here either have too much input and not enough output or vice versa Too much output and not enough input. We need to be balanced because if we're not balanced, it will kill our passion. It will kill it. That's why I think it tells us in 1 Timothy 4, 7 this. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourselves to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. He's saying you need to be spiritually balanced. You need to be working out. You need to be pushing that intake and out. Outflow. Second one is this: an unused talent. An unused talent will cause you to lose your passion and your passion for God. First Peter four ten says, "God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another." God gives us each individual gifts. When He gives us the Holy Spirit, we are loaded up with with spiritual gifts. Yours are different than mine. Mine are different than yours. Some of you would say, I could never get up here and talk. Others, you say, there's no way I could ever work with kids. Others, you're saying, those are both the things I would love to do. I could never help serve coffee. I could never be the, the hospitality person. That That's not me. We've all been given... Di- given different gifts, and in that process, we use those gifts for others' benefits. A lot of times, I think we think we use those gifts for our own benefit, but that's not what God created it for. He created us to use them for others' benefits. My gifts are for you, your gifts are for me, and that's the way we work together as a team. 1 Corinthians 7 says, each one should live his life with the gifts that the Lord has given them. God gave us each stuff to use, and sometimes we want to be somebody else that we're not. I think... Uh, Rick Warren says it best. He said, one of the greatest things you can do in life is discover who you're not so you can fall in love with who God has made you to be. One of the greatest things in life you can discover is who you're not so you can fall in love with who God has made you to be. We need to stop trying to be everyone else that, got, that we want to be and instead be who God wants us to be and be used in that area. Third thing, Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. This is a big one. This is a really big one. Few things rob us of, rob us of our joy and our confidence and our passion, like unconfessed sin, because we have guilt. And guilt and passion cannot exist together. Because one overcomes the other. You can't feel enthusiasm and guilt at the same time. You can't feel guilt and passion because by its very definition, guilt robs you of passion. Psalm 38, 4 through 6 says, My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain. All day long, I walk around filled with grief. I want you just to picture that. I mean, sometimes when we read things, we just read it for what it is. But f- picture this My guilt overwhelms me. You ever been there before? It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I'm bent over and racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. What what a powerful description of what guilt does to rob us of our passion. I'd be willing to bet, unless you live in a cave, you probably work on computers. At some point in time, some of you more than others. But I'm also willing to bet that some point in time in your life, while working on a computer, you've been typing away, and probably at the most inopportune time, your computer goes, pew! That's an old tube version, you know, the big ones. But it shuts down. You're like, wait, 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 wait hang on. And you realize something, some code in there was written the wrong way when you were hitting something, and it caused everything else to get all out of whack, and everything shuts down ever been there i think that's what guilt does to our human computers it's the thing that gets entered in there and shuts everything else down When we have that unconfessed sin that is in there that is bugging at us that is constantly eating at us saying oh i'm not good enough god i've obviously done these things wrong so you can't use me in this area thing is it can be remedied quickly first john 1 9 you've probably heard this verse a time or two before but if we confess our sins to Him who is God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. I like the NLT version here because it says wickedness. A lot of times it says unrighteousness. And sometimes we're like, oh, you know what? I'm pretty righteous. I got this. No, no. We're, we're wicked right at the core. We have thoughts and, and processes that go inside of our brain that, that, that really aren't normal. But He can cleanse us from all of that. That's His promise. To confess just means you agree with God and say, God, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a sinner. You're not. You can take this from me. It is yours to hang on to, yours to hold on to. And I want to encourage you that this, if this is you, if you fall under the unconfessed sin and that is what's robbing your joy and your passion, confess it now. Don't say, you know, I'm going to get home. And after the football games are over, as long as my team wins, I will confess. God, I will confess to you if you make my team win. Okay, that's the way it's going to work. It's a little bargaining chip. That's not how it... Get on your face before God. Say, I confess. I got some junk in my life that has plugged it all up, and it's shutting everything else down, I need to get rid of it. I, I give it over to you, God. Can you just restore my passion? My passion for you? Fourth thing, an unresolved conflict unresolved conflict. Conflict just drains the passion out of you, doesn't it? Aren't the worst Sunday mornings the ones where you fight with somebody on the way here or before you get here? And you walk in and you put on that fake smile because you don't want anybody else to know that you're going through a conflict, but the entire time that the music's going, all you can think about is a conflict, and the entire time the message is taking place, all you can think about is that conflict, and it is just sucking the life right out of you. Conflicts that they take our passion they just kill it but what about a situation you're like well it, the conflict isn't my fault it's, it's the situation that I'm in there's constantly conflict at work and there's constantly conflict going on at, at home and we're just fighting all the time how do I resolve that if it's not really my fault here's how you do it you forgive and I know that doesn't sound easy but you have to forgive because, see, there's, there's really three emotions really even fall underneath, under the word conflict that are the ones that really take it. And it's these three, resentment, jealousy, and prolonged anger. Resentment, jealousy, and prolonged anger. Those things, when we hold on to those, we, we see in the book of Job, he actually says in Job chapter 5, resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the The simple. And then again in Joe chapter 18, he says, You may tear out your hair in anger, but will that destroy the earth? Will it make rocks tremble? No, it won't. It's only going to hurt you because you're the one tearing your own hair out. You're the one that has been so upset. You're beating yourself up. And if we hold on to resentment, if we hold on to jealousy, if we hold on to anger and we don't forgive, it's only eating up at you. I mean, who's the one that suffers the most when you are angry with somebody? When you resent somebody, when you have jealousy towards somebody, if somebody's hurt you and you're like, I'm going to show them, who is it really showing? It's us. We're the ones that get beat up over it. We're the ones. Half the time, they don't even know. And the other half the time, they probably don't care. But it's us beating up on ourselves. If you want to restore your heart, if you want to restore your life, we have to, we have to forgive and get past that. Put it. You might be thinking, well, that's just getting them off the hook. No, it's getting you off the hook. It's putting them on God's hook. Let God deal with it. Let Him take care of those problems. He can handle the situation. Give it to Him. So forgive and let go. That's how you resolve the conflict in your heart. And that's how you can start building passion again. Fifth thing an unsupported lifestyle. An unsupported lifestyle, and the reason why I say that is too many of us, I think, hang out with people who don't have the same faith that we do, that, that we don't have the people who are constantly right there next to us, helping us when we fall. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes, it, it talks about it in verses four in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says two are better than one because if one falls down, his friend can help him. But pity the fool who falls and has no one to help him up. How many times are we unsupported when we fall down that there's nobody there to help us up? And that just, once again, takes the life out of us. I am so excited to finally get this move taken care of and the move complete because I'm looking forward to getting back into connection groups, getting our home Bible studies together, getting the things together during the week, getting things where people are able to connect. Because when we're not connecting with other people and we're out there walking by ourselves, we are in big trouble. We're in big trouble. It's kind of like um, there's a, a joke I heard the other day that I thought was pretty funny. As a little old lady who goes out, um, anytime she goes out in the woods with somebody else, she always carries a twenty-two. And they said, "Well, what's the twenty-two for?" And he said, "For bears." And they're like, "That twenty-two is not going to do anything for a bear." And he's like, "I don't have to do anything to the bear. I just have to shoot you in the knee so I can outrun you." You know that—that's what other people are there for, right? I mean, they're <laughs> not really. That's—that's that's terrible. Um, but, but but we do need other people. We do need other people in our lives to help strengthen us, to help bring us along and us bring others along. I've said it before. Who's your Paul? Who's the one that's pouring into you? And who's your Timothy? Who are you pouring yourself into? That input-output thing is right here. The book of Hebrews tells us this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but to encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need each other. Sixth, an unclear purpose. An unclear purpose. When you forget the purpose of your life, and really this probably should have been number one. When you forget the purpose of your life, it's going to kill your passion for your life and for God. I mean, think about it. I've told the kids this. We're talking about on, on Wednesday nights. The whole idea uh, with youth. We've been doing the the path principle. It's a principle put together by Andy Stanley, but it's just a well-dubbed principle that everybody knows. Your destination is determined not by your intentions, but by your actual direction. The way you're going in life is going to determine your destination, not where you want to go in life, but actually where you're going. I said, you know, if I want to go to California, and I get on I-40 and I drive east, I'm not going to get there. As badly as I want to go to California, it's not going to happen because I'm going the wrong way. Your intention doesn't determine your destination. Your actual direction does. And as we've talked about that, this is it. If you have no passion in your life, what are you getting out of bed for in the morning? Are you getting out of bed to sit in a cubicle? What is your passion? Passion drives purpose, and purpose drives activity. It's it all works together. It's not without it. It's motion with, without meaning going along and going through the motions. I, I, don't, I don't ever want to get stuck going through the motions. I don't, I don't want to be the same person today as I was yesterday. I want to be moving forward. And I definitely don't want to be the same person today as I was this time last year. But how many of us can say we can look back over the last year and we haven't seen much change, if any at all? That should not be our goal. Our goal is to move forward. Our goal is to become more like Christ. Will we ever be perfect? No, we won't ever be perfect until the day that God makes us perfect and the day we die and He's right there. But we're constantly growing to be more like Him. They go hand in hand. The seventh one, the final one, is an undernourished spirit. An undernourished spirit. I don't know how many of you guys take time to read your Bible. I don't know how many of you guys take time to have private worship just between you and God. I don't know how many of you guys take time to to have a family worship or worship with somebody else and be able to read together and and discuss together. And once again, even go back to that accountability of having somebody there that's with you, I don't know how many of you do that. But I'll tell you, when I miss it, when I take a break, when I am too lazy and I use other excuses, I can tell in my own personal life. Maybe you can too. It's a time when I feel like I'm more tense. I'm a little bit more angry. I'm a little bit more on edge. I'm a little bit, well, more susceptible to to doing stupid things. An undernourished spirit. We need to be with God every day because if you're imbalanced in that, you're going to lose your passion. And, And you look at each one of these seven, all seven of these, where do you fall in that? What what has taken your passion away from you? What has has knocked you down? And how do you do it? How do you plug into God? How do you have this living, vital, daily relationship with God? How, How do you do it? And I want to tell you the starting point, the very starting point of it all, is understand how passionate God is for you. That's where it starts at. When you understand how much he really loved you, and you want proof of how much he loves you, we just got to turn and look at the cross. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a fun December when we get over in that other building. And and we're going to be able to, uh, as a matter of fact, if you've seen there, we're going to do three services. We're going to have one on Saturday night, two on Sunday morning. You can read about there in your bullet if you have questions for me. I'd love to talk to you about it. But we're going to do that. And what we're going to do to start off, to go through December, is we're going to break down John three sixteen because that's next, actually just happens to be next in our, um, in our chronology as we go through. Jesus talks to Nicodemus and the answer that he gives. And we're going to do that for the entire month of December. And how important Christmas is for that very reason, that God so loved the world, that God so loved you and God so loved me, that he gave his one and only son so that we wouldn't perish, so that we wouldn't die without him. That is the passion we need to understand that he has for us, that he so much loved us that he'd give his son for us. That he'd not just, you know, come down here and live not just come down here and be part of us, because that was probably a pretty big sacrifice in itself. You're stepping out of heaven and coming to earth. I, I'm pretty sure that's a pretty big downgrade. You're walking on streets of gold, now you're walking on dirt. You know, that's the, that's the, the thing he gave up. But that wasn't the only thing he gave up for us. He gave up his life for us. That is passion. He loves us. And how often, how often do we forget that? and put that, that God is just a piece of our puzzle, just a piece of our, our pie, our, our, our whole life pie here, and he gets a sliver of it over here, and the rest of it is, is, is TV and work and sports and whatever it might be. And he, he should be the entire pie, and everything else falls in under him. But we forget that, and we become less and less passionate. And the sad thing is, I think, I think God's not happy about that. Actually, as a matter of fact, I know he's not happy about that, because he tells us in the Book of Revelations, chapter three, when he's talking, he's talking to churches, and he's talking to to these churches that that have gone kind of wishy washy, and he talks to them and he says, you know what? Don't be lukewarm, don't be half-hearted, either be hot, be passionate, or be cold. Leave me alone. Don't be in between. Don't be like that. Because lukewarmness makes him sick to his stomach. C.S. Lewis said it like this, the only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. The only thing your relationship with God cannot be is moderately important it needs to be all or it needs to be nothing it either needs be, you come and you get excited and you invest and you have that zeal for his church and his zeal for his life and a passion for that that you're investing in it that you're giving towards it that you're putting your life into it or don't i think that's where he's at i think that's what he is saying and if you say well then i won't you said don't i'm not going to and that is a choice you get to make, but I don't believe that going home and living a self-centered life is going to do anything for you. I think when we're living for things that are outside of us, it changes our lives and it grows us. So how is your passion for God? How is your passion for God? Because right now, I'd be, I'd be wondering, where in that checklist that you can check things off and say, yep, that's sucking the, sucking the life right out of me. How do we make it stop? How do we get our lives back where God is number one and God is the most exciting thing in our life and God is the thing that we are living for, not for the next temporary thing that we know is eventually gonna fall apart, but we have to have it right now anyway. When is it gonna be that we're living for the God who is eternal? When is that gonna change in our life? That is my question for you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for who you are. We are thankful that you love us We are thankful that you cared enough for us, that you had enough passion for us that you sent your one and only son. And God, while he was here, he had passion for you and he had passion for your house. Not to see it turn into some den of thieves. Not to see it turn into something that was a marketplace where people were being taken advantage of so they could worship you. But God, instead, it was a place wheres where we're able to lift up our hands and praise you and not worry about anything else, but, but praising you for your love and passion for us. God, help us return the passion into our lives. The passion that says, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. The passion that says, I will not sit idly by and wait and waste time. Because we all know that killing time is basically suicide. Because time is all we have. And it's not as long as we think it is. God, I pray you have spoken to us today because I know you've spoken to me throughout this week. And that I can get that checklist right. That I can make sure those things aren't killing my passion. So, Lord, I can live for you like you've called me to. Pray it in your name. Amen.